The reading is from 2 Corinthians, chapter 4, which can be found on page 1160, beginning at verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Now we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened, because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now it is God who has made us for this very purpose, and has given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Therefore, we are always confident, and know that as long as we are at home in body, we are away from the Lord. We live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due to him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good evening. This is one of the most difficult passages in the New Testament. It's hard to translate, and it's hard to take on board. So please have your Bibles open at 2 Corinthians 5, and let's ask the Lord to speak to us through it. Lord, we know that you've given the Scriptures to teach us, to admonish us, to build us up, to encourage us, We pray that they may do those things tonight and that you will give us understanding of this passage so that our lives may indeed be changed. For Jesus' sake, amen. These central chapters in 2 Corinthians, chapters 3 to 6, are mainly about Christian ministry. Frail clay pots, though we are, uh, we carry valuable treasure, says Paul. Weak human failures, though we are, we are still ambassadors for Christ because God has decided to use people to reach people. And that's what chapter 4 and 5 are mainly about. And if we go all out for Christian service, we'll find that it is exhausting and at times it's discouraging. There's a temptation to give up. And Paul says twice in chapter 4 of himself and his colleagues, we do not lose heart. Uh, It really means uh, we do not wimp out under the pressures that come his way. 
But he does realize that he's getting older and that the wear and tear on his life is getting greater. It is tough to be like Paul, uh, going around so much and preaching and teaching uh, all over the Roman world. And so he comes out with a very um, personal statement in 4.16. So we do not lose heart. Even though our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed day by day. For this slight momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all measure, because we look not at what can be seen, but what cannot be seen. What can be seen is temporary. What cannot be seen is eternal. And uh, as we come to the end of a series of sermons that pick up the theme of athletics, which is quite an important theme in the New Testament and particularly appropriate during the Olympics, uh, I've been given the medal ceremony uh, to speak on tonight. And that's not at all a bad summary of what 2 Corinthians 5, 1 to 10 uh, is all about. So I want to look at it under four headings, entering the race, joining the team, facing the pain, and mounting the podium. Entering the race. Life is a race. Sometimes it's long. Uh, my father lived to just over 100. Sometimes it's short, like the baby who dies a month old. Sometimes it's tragic, like the 153 people who perished terribly in the um, wreck in that Spanish air disaster this week. For all of us, life had a start and life will have an end. At 18, we don't give that a thought. Our life will never end. 30 years later, at 48, um, we realize that we've never taken out a life insurance, and is it now too expensive? Add another 30 years, and at 78, we don't want to invest in a new suit because we wonder if we'll have time to wear it out. We are all going to die. I'm not being morbid, I'm just being realistic like Paul is in this passage. After all, the most dangerous thing in the world is living. There is a 100% mortality rate. Written up in a doctor's waiting room, the first two minutes of life are critical. Underneath one wag added, the last two are pretty dicey as well. <laughs> now Paul was very well aware of that. He knew that if you fail to take death into your plans, you're like a foolish financier who goes bust because he has only made short-term investments. And so this passage is peppered with contrasts between two different perspectives, the short term and the long term, death and life, temporary and eternal, the tent, the house, naked, clothed, living by appearances, living by sight, at home in the body, absent from the Lord, 
momentary affliction, eternal glory. That's partly why Paul didn't give up. He took the long view. But many of us Christians do live by appearances. We are thoroughly at home in the body. We do go for temporary gratification. And we wonder why our Christian lives don't grow, why our Christian service seems pretty ineffective, and why any momentary affliction that comes our way seems such an injustice. Why has it happened to me? We're all in this one race of life, and we can take the short-term view or the long-term view. It's up to us. We've got to choose. Second thing I see in this passage, alluded to, but quite clearly alluded to, is joining the team. At some time or other in this race of life, we have joined Christ's team. At least I hope we have. Don't rest until you're clear about it. That's what people who are available to pray uh, at the end of the service are for. But if you have joined the team of Christ, it is an incredible privilege. Just think of the Olympic team GB. Tremendous privilege. There's people on the opening night. There's always two sides to joining Christ's team. One is when you get the invitation. You get given your GB vest, so to speak. When the Lord of glory says, I'd love to have you on my team. And he always takes the initiative. Do you remember when his call, when his invitation became real to you? Perhaps just pause and thank him for it right now. And then glance at verse 4. God has called us. He has prepared us for this very thing, being in his team. And to prove that it is real, he has given us his Holy Spirit as a guarantee. Fascinating word that's used there. It's a down payment. It's a first installment of what you're going to pay later on. And God takes that commercial metaphor and he says, I'm giving you my Holy Spirit as the first installment of heaven. There's more to come, ladies and gentlemen, but here is the first installment. If you like, it's not only the GB vest, it's the ticket to Beijing. So that's one side where you get the invitation. You get selected, and you can't be in the team without God's selection. That's what the whole teaching about God's predestining is all about. He chose you before you chose him. But you did chose him if you're a Christian. And that leads us to the other side of joining the team. We have to decide whether to accept the invitation. Shall we or shall we not commit to Christ and unashamedly wear his colors? Every Olympian, every Christian 
knows that there are two sides to this great privilege and responsibility of representing our earthly country or our heavenly country. We've got to be selective and we've got to accept knowing that it will revolutionize our lifestyle. As we've been singing tonight, things are never going to be the same. We're going to be changed. So entering the race and joining the team are the first two things from this passage I want to draw. Here's the third one, and it's facing the pain. We've had a remarkable Olympics this year, haven't we? We've seen wild scenes of joy as people win medals. But what we don't see is the four years and more of total commitment from these athletes. The sheer grind, the pain of tortured limbs, the boredom of endless lengths in the pool or on the track. It's very, very tough to engage in the Olympics. And it's very, very tough to be a genuine Christian. And Paul faces up to this. He hopes, quite frankly, he hopes to be alive when Jesus comes back. A lot of the early Christians hoped that. And people down the centuries have hoped. You see, if Jesus comes back in our lifetime, we wouldn't have to be stripped naked at death. That is what verse 4 is all about. But we would have a sort of overcoat of immortality put on top of our mortality and not have to go through death. If you like, he doesn't want to strip off, does Paul, he doesn't want to strip off at the end of the race. He wants to be draped in that extra covering of the Union Jack. That's what he'd like. But he realizes that it may not happen, that he may die first, and he did. Now, to be sure, in this somewhat obscure way in which he expresses himself in chapter 5. He's mixing his metaphors. He's talking about a dwelling, a house. And he's talking in the next breath about clothes. But the message is plain. He knows he's only living now in a leaky old tent in a typical British summer. And that tent will collapse one day, but a solid house awaits him in heaven. He knows that God will give him a new suit of clothes when these present ones are worn out. But like us, he is not keen to die. He's not keen to be found naked, as he puts it. He'd much rather have the heavenly body put on over his present body. And so that's one anxiety that bugs him as he gets older. Another is what he calls groaning under our burdens. In this present life, we all have burdens. Another is the outer nature wasting away. 
even Andrew's arm doesn't come over as high at his age as it used to when he was 20. Another is the temporary affliction that we cannot escape. He knows it's one thing to be selected and join the team, and it's quite another thing to face the hardships of training and the rigors of the race itself. Think of Paula Radcliffe. For the second time, she's failed in the marathon. She crashed out in the marathon, and she limped in 23rd when she'd been hoping to get a medal. Or think of China's gold medal hurdler, Ling Chang. He won a gold medal last time round. His face was on all the billboards uh, as the icon of China's sporting prowess. Great things were expected of him. But he crashed out with an injured Achilles as he started the race. And it happens to Christians too. You will have noticed Jonathan Edwards commentating on these Olympics. Jonathan has crashed out of his well-known Christian discipleship. You'll have noticed him on the screen talking to Sue Barker, superb commentator, once the golden girl of British tennis. She has packed up her Christian commitment as well. Now, it's incredibly sad the pressures probably proved too much for these people who are so much in the public eye. Perhaps their eyes were focused too much on the temporary, on being at home in the body, and not enough on the eternal, being at home with the Lord. It is a solemn warning to us all. The Christian life is a marathon, it is not a sprint. It's one thing to be selected and to say yes. It's quite another to handle the pressures and the pains that are part of our progress in the Christian marathon and to finish it with flair. It's all too easy to pack up. It's all too possible to wimp out. But let's move to the fourth point, entering the race, joining the team, facing the pain, and mounting the podium. Verse 10 in 2 Corinthians 5 puts it like this. All of us must appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each may receive recompense for what has been done in the body, whether good or evil. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we try to persuade others. It has been, in these last couple of weeks, a great joy to see so many Brits mounting the podium, standing tall, receiving their medals, and hearing the anthem of their country played for them. That sort of thing brings tears to the eyes. And it was the goal 
that Paul had for his own life. In 2 Corinthians 4, when he's facing death, he says this, The time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. From now on, there is reserved for me the crown of righteousness. Like the olive wreath which you got in the Olympic Games. Which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day. And not only to me, but to all who have longed for his appearing. Yes, Paul longed to mount that podium. But he tells us a very surprising thing. He says, not some of us, but all of us will mount the final podium. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. He says, it is universal. There will be no absentees on that occasion. And we appear so that each of us may receive recompense or reward for what we've done on earth. It's not only universal, it's embarrassingly individual. And the Lord will assess you and he'll assess me what we have done and what we have been. There is a judgment for Christians. People forget that. They say blithely, I'm saved. In the past tense, that only comes three times in the New Testament. It comes dozens of times in the future tense. I have the first installment of salvation, but the future salvation, a lot of salvation lies in the future when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ. It's not often spoken about, but it's clearly there in the New Testament. Read Romans 2 sometime. Read 1 Corinthians 3. Read Revelation 20. The issue, let's get this quite clear, the issue will not be our membership of the team. That is settled. The issue will be how we have performed as a member of the team. There will be the equivalent of gold and silver and bronze in God's eternal kingdom. And it will depend on how we have run the race. In 1 Corinthians, Paul thinks of someone who has built selfishly and frivolously on the solid, the rock-solid foundation uh, of Jesus Christ. The foundation is brilliant, but... The building is flimsy and pathetic. And he says it'll like, it'd be like somebody who's escaped from a fire. There are people who escaped from the fire of that terrible air crash this week. Everything they had with them, gone. For some of them, they have escaped. Or think, wouldn't it be terrible to think that all we've lived for, all the sort of self-centered stuff, the way we spent our life after we've become Christians, is all going to be burnt away. It's going to have to stand the test of fire. And the test is, 
that the gold and the silver and the precious stones sort of quality of life, that'll stand forever. But the wood and the hay and stubble sort of life will be gone. And so Paul says in 1 Corinthians that the person himself will be safe, but all he has lived for will perish. And the same thought is put differently here. All team members will stand before the judgment seat. The judgment seat was a very large stone structure in the city's public square where you had an accuser and a defender in public. And we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And God will reveal and judge the secrets of us all by his gospel. So Romans 2.16 tells us. And he will reward us appropriately. There may be some, alas, who will trample their bronze medal underfoot like that competitor did and got thrown out of the Olympics. But we will all face assessment. The CCTV of our lives will be played. And I shan't know where to look, will you? It's a very solemn thought. Some will get gold, some silver, some bronze. I guess we could put it in this way. Our salvation is sure unless we trample it underfoot. But our enjoyment of that salvation, our nearness to the Lord, our joy in heaven, depends on how we have served the Lord or lived for the Lord here in the limited time we spend in the tent of our mortal life. I don't know about you, but I want to finish well. I'm nearer to the end of the race than most of you are, and I want to finish well. I want to ensure, like the Apostle Paul, that when I have preached to others, I myself am not a castaway. Look at this cyclist driving for the finish. I want to be like that. I guess there are two motives spurring me on. Knowing the fear of the Lord, the awe of God, which in our happy, clappy, modern scene we've often lost, knowing the awe of the Lord, the fear of letting him down, the fear of what he will find. That's one motive. That keeps me on the straight and narrow. And the other is this, it's much more powerful, is we make it our aim to please him. Verse 9, we make it our aim to please him. That's really a phrase to take away from tonight. We make it our aim to please him. Could you say that with me? We make it our aim to please him. We've had some great pictures in this last couple of weeks. And amongst them, there have been pictures of the coach embracing the athlete who has striven to please him. There are some of those pictures. Look at the coach hugging the athlete. And the athlete has done everything to please the coach and jumps into his arms after completing a routine. I want the Lord's embrace. Don't you?
I want to please him. And I want to end with this picture. It's a picture of um, Christine Oharugu uh, when she won the 400 meters. She is a keen Christian. And just before she raced, she got a text message. And this is what it said. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. So it was nice, she says, because right now I just didn't feel that I was at my best. I didn't feel I was strong enough to do what I needed to do. I really needed to dig deep and just stay in the game. I thank God for everything. You and I, in the race of life, we've been selected by the Lord himself. It's tough at times, like all training is, and like the race inevitably is. We're called to dig deep and stay in the game and thank God for everything. Amen? Amen. Let's pray then. Lord, we do thank you for this powerful passage. We would much rather not be stripped naked at the end of our life and receive our resurrection body later on. It would be so much easier to be clothed on top by your return and the resurrection body here and now. But it's not our choice, as it wasn't Paul's choice. May it be our choice, as it was his choice, to seek to please you through the tough times and the times when we can thank God for everything. Take us afresh tonight. Renew our love and dedication to you. And may we, in this coming week, please you who have chosen us onto your team. Amen.